Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, everyone. Excited to be back again with another gem of a podcast. This episode is with Deb Gabor. Now, Deb is the best-selling author of Brandon is Sex, which is a very, very interesting title, and I loved, I loved what she had to say about that. And what we talked about today was really interesting. We talked about the importance of branding, as the title suggests, but why it's important to own your story and really have that point of differentiation and also the idea of how to show up and articulate your value. You know, some of the things we talked about are the interesting trends we've noticed with corporations all over the world who seem to be out of touch with the people that they actually serve, whether it's Pepsi, whether it's Uber or various hair companies that, that have sort of been tone deaf. And we dove into why that is and how we can move away from that. It was really, really interesting. She's got an amazing background. Uh, she, her work spans across several industries and there's no way you're not going to get value from this. So I'm really excited to have this episode really interact with your airwaves. I just said that. <laughs> Anyways, enjoy the episode. I'm sure you're going to get a lot of value from it and go out and make an impact. In a world where very few people embrace their global identity and seek to understand their neighbors, cross-cultural expert Tayo Roxon is on a mission to bridge this divide. Each week, he'll open your mind with insights from some of the global minds in the world. Get ready, take some notes, and learn how to be the best you that you can be. Welcome to another episode of S by Noise. Today's guest is Deb Gabor. She is the CEO of Soul Marketing and the best-selling author of Brand is Sex. What is Soul Marketing that you ask? It is a brand strategy consultancy that has led brand strategy engagements for organizations ranging from international household names like Dell, Microsoft, and NBC Universal to digital winners like all recipes, cheeseburger, home away, retail me nut, and dozens of early stage tech and digital media titans. So basically, she's someone that knows how to deal with the new as well as the old, and she is an expert on branding and figures, you know, that her title will be Brandon is Sex, because I'm now curious about why Brandon is sex, Deb. Welcome to the show. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, um, it, it's interesting how we came to the title of the book being Branding is Sex. And, and really, I, I believe that the job of all brands is to make their customers feel like the heroes in their own lives. And when you feel heroic and you feel like you have the world on a string and you can accomplish anything, um, not only do you feel great about yourself and, you know, maybe you feel a little sexy, 
but you actually want to have sex. So it's kind of a metaphor for the the feeling that the best brands in the world can give their users um, through use use of the brand. So the brands can bond with people not just in a cognitive way, but more importantly, in an emotional way. And so branding as sex is kind of a shortcut. It actually came from my business. I've been I've been doing this kind of work for longer than than I would admit. And I worked with a lot of technology companies. I looked worked with a lot of companies that were decidedly unsexy. Uh, but one of the things that usually opened up people's thinking and got them to really think about their brand inclusive of their customers was to just ask the question, hey, how does this brand get your customer laid? And that would open up all kinds of conceptual territory for folks who normally weren't thinking about how their brands could bond with customers in an emotional way. So um, it was about the only title that we could use for this particular book. And um, so the book, it has has a cheeky title. It is not about sex. It just has a cheeky and sexy title. Uh, there's really good business value within, and it's kind of a how-to book. Well, I I have no doubt. Well, before we get into that, I'm kind of curious. How did you get into this world of branding? What did you do as a kid that made you um, turn that light bulb on and say, I need to work with brands and I need to be a consultant? <laughs> yeah, you may relate to this. My parents, uh, my parents were immigrants. And, um, also like very, very cheap. And we, we didn't have a lot of brand name stuff when I was growing up. And we were sort of brandless or, you know, unbranded, if you will, a lot of generic stuff. You know, my dad drank the beer that came in the white can with the black label that just said beer on it. <laughs> uh, and, you know, things like that. And so like, I grew up in this household where I was aware of brands, and I saw brands around me, but they were something that were like, really, really out of reach. And and I think in a way that prepared me for a life where I didn't take it for granted. Um, and then, you know, fast forward to, you know, um, many years later when I was a grown-up and getting a job, I worked for one – my very first job out of college, I worked for one of the biggest brands in the world, which was AT&T. And I worked there at a time – that was, you know, that was pretty exciting because the telecommunications and data communications industry was growing and developing. And one of the first assignments that I got to work on while I was there uh, was an Olympic sponsorship, an Olympic partnership and sponsorship. AT&T used to be like a huge sponsor of the Olympics. And I, I got to really understand, you know, things like consumer branding and brand associations, brand awareness, and um, started, you know, really to just kind of become obsessed with it. And then thereafter, every job that I had when I worked on the when I worked in the industry was you know as a brand manager or a brand leader or a product marketing person where brand was really important and then I moved to the agency side of the business and worked for a couple of agencies managing uh, brand strategy engagements for other clients and then it was just sort of like a runaway train because I'm a terrible employee I had to start my own company back in 2003 where I could do this for other people so I think it you know the the roots were the roots were in, you know, this this family life when I was growing up where, you know, brands were around, but we didn't have them. So they seemed like this incredible mystical thing. And I looked at them, you know, almost under a microscope. And then now I'm just obsessed with them. I tell people I was I was born to brand. I can't not do it. I can't not think about it. I can't not talk about it when I get together with other business people. No, thank you so much for sharing. And a lot of, you know, the, the, re the main reason I ask that question all the time is because most times I've asked that question, a lot of the roots of what people do now can be traced back to things that were interesting to you as, as a child. And, you know, you, you talked about your observation with, you know, your dad um, sort of getting the generic brands like, uh, you know, a, a bottle with beer as the, yep. uh, as the as the title. And I think 
those things happen to a lot of people if they truly end up figuring out how to follow the drive and passion. And, uh, um, you know, it's interesting that you turned that experience into a career, even though you probably weren't. I don't know if you were consciously doing that, but it sounds like uh, your natural instincts led you down that path. Yeah, it definitely was not a conscious thing, I have to tell you. And yeah. I never set out to start a company either. Exactly. It was just one of those things where um, I couldn't not do it. And I start, you know, I started doing it kind of on a freelance basis. And then, then all of a sudden, there was this incredible demand for what I was doing in the unique way that I was doing it. And then I woke up one morning and I had a company. So, um, it, you know, I never, I never imagined that it would become this and that I would be, you know, running this entrepreneurial venture and doing all these incredible things like writing books and traveling all over the world and speaking to big groups of people and doing interviews and stuff like that. It's just interesting how how things can pick up momentum when you love them. Yeah, no, that's absolutely true. So since we are talking about branding, how would you describe your personal brand? Um, let's see. Well, my personal brand really is this, you know, branding is sex brand. That's kind of how it's it's developed over the years is just kind of my unique approach and the and and the I'll call it like the enthusiastic way that I approach branding from this you know emotional point of view. Uh, it's funny because a creative director I worked with many many years ago he anointed me with the title brand dominatrix and so <laughs> um, you know it's a funny title and it's interesting in today's kind of hashtag Me Too world like you know what is what is the role of a title like that it it really sort of makes me think. But um, that's always been part part of my personal brand, which is kind of, you know, tell it like it is in your face. I'll tell you the, the pure, unvarnished truth about things. I, you know, I'm all about driving people to you know, unlock whatever kind of latent potential they have in their business through connecting with customers in an emotional way. Sometimes that requires me to be pretty hardcore. So, um, but you know, it's a, I, I feel like it's a pretty strong, consistent brand over the last couple of years. I've, I've become the world's resident authority on botched corporate apologies, which is interesting. And I think that's kind of part of my brand, but, um, I, you know, uh, that, that's how I would describe it. I mean, it, it really permeates everything I do in my life, whether that's an interview like this, or I'm working hands-on with clients, or I'm speaking to a large group of CEOs, or you know, even as I move through my personal life, um, it's hard to separate my obsession with branding and brand strategy from my personal life. Even no, I, that, that's you know, I I always I'm a fan of when uh, careers end up being personal and professional. I think it's it's one of those things that. That ends up that ends up working well if you actually do it um, uh, with heart, and it seems like you do that as well. But speaking of corporate apologies, 2017, 2018 has been the year where interesting companies that have big names, whether they're startups or or established companies, have made some pretty uh, big corporate blunders. Whether it's Pepsi, whether it's Uber, whether it's H and M recently. Uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, or a lot of the hair companies, you know, um, who tend to forget that they have people of color as, as, uh, as, uh, customers as well. So I'm curious, you know, when you observe this as a leadership branding, you know, expert, how would you even have advised them to recover? What, what should the CEOs do at that point? 
Yeah, there's so many brands. If you look back, 2017 was in the branding world was marked by really two huge trends. One of them was sort of social advocacy, if you will, which is associating your brand with a social cause or with, you know, with a movement or something. And then the the other side of it, it was just sort of like big brand blunders. Um, And some of them were intertwined. You know, you brought up Pepsi. That was that was probably the first big one of 2017 where uh, their internal film, the the little film that they produce with their internal their internal content group within Pepsi uh, featuring Kendall Jenner that yeah. seemed to appropriate the Black Lives Matter movement and you know it was just completely whitewashed and she definitely was not the right person to have associated with, with something. I mean I think their intention was good but it just really really fell with a thud. Um, Pepsi actually they they handled it pretty well. I mean, you know, the fact that it got produced and it went out the door looked to me like there were a bunch of lawyers involved rather than you know really uh, good-hearted creative people. Uh, but when they you know when they did, I think the commercial maybe aired. I think it aired just online and for not very long before they pulled it down. As soon as they started experiencing the backlash, I think they did everything right in terms of apologizing. The fact that it was made in the way that it was made in the first place—that's a whole other conversation. Yeah. But you know, the screw up—they handled it okay. In that they pulled it down, they issued an apology. You know, they said we, we're not going to do this again. They definitely showed some regard for you know people's feelings and and humanity, and they acknowledged their mistake. Fast forward to a little bit later that week, United Airlines, and this was the same oh, week. Gosh. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this was like this was a career making week for me as far as corporate apologies goes. When United Airlines pulled that poor guy off of an airplane, you know, right, right or wrong, you know, what that guy's involvement was and what he did, what he said, it was shocking to not only, you know, not only this poor man who was physically injured, but other people who were on the plane, but the rest of us who were watching this story unfold in social media in almost real time, right? And they really, like United Airlines, really screwed up in in a multitude of ways. One of them being, you know, they waited more than 48 hours before issuing any kind of apology. The apology was like a 140-character tweet that didn't seem to have any apology. It was sort of like one of those hashtags, sorry, not sorry apologies, which looked to me like it was written by a bunch of attorneys. It, it didn't have any regard for humanity. It did not express, you know, any sort of condolences or bad feelings or, you know, uh, any kind of uh, fast forward to, you know, here's what we're going to do to prevent this from happening in the first place. Uh, So, you know, there was that. And then they actually, you know, beyond Beyond that, the CEO issued a statement a couple of days later that was very poorly constructed, and then they were silent for a long time. You know, and the big issue there is an organization that their brand is supposed to be fly the friendly skies, right? Yeah. Well, you know, uh, if truly your brand is fly the friendly skies, you shouldn't anoint every single person in the organization all the way down to the gate agent with the power to do not just the best they can, but whatever it takes to ensure that every single customer has a friendly skies experience on their plane. And the situation there, if you remember, was the flight was oversold and they were looking for some people to get off the plane. Well, the gate agent was only authorized to go up to a certain amount in terms of offering people to get off the plane. I know I have a limit 
and it's not $300, it's probably closer to $1,000. And I'm sure that there were other people there. But if people were really empowered to deliver on the promise of the brand, that gate agent or whomever was, you know, in charge that day, who was like a rank and file employee would have been bestowed with the power to do not just the best they could, but whatever it takes to prevent something like that from happening. So that's an example of, you know, of a company that just did everything wrong. And then, you know, also in 2017, we had organizations like Uber, which Uber, like they couldn't stop themselves. No, from they getting, couldn't. No, they yeah, couldn't. Yeah, <laughs> right? They just couldn't stop themselves from getting in trouble. Everything from, you know, just being completely emblematic of everything that we love to hate about Silicon Valley bro culture to, you know, just like some downright dirty dealings um and you know that's a brand it's it's fascinating to me you know where where they're going today and and every everything that they did that was a misstep they had like a counter step for that but then it became a misstep it's just they can't they can't seem to do anything right but then you know um it's it it's interesting because this, you know, back to the idea of, of brands being social advocates and brands actually um, aligning themselves with with social issues and causes and people and things like that. I mean, fast forward the big story right now this week, and you and I talked about this before this interview, you know, the brands that are severing ties with the National Rifle Association, right. you know, coming out of the shootings in Florida last week. So, um I think it's a trend that's going to continue and in today's in today's world where we have always on 24 hour a day media uh the you know it's going to be become increasingly important for brands to really identify who are their core customers what are their core customers values and beliefs and then you know do what they can to align with them through their actions as brands I know that was like a very long answer to a short question. So no, no, sorry, it's I just very, kind of rambled on. I think it's very important to a lot of us. Uh, you know, you're involved in this world, and a lot of us to see. You know, we have a lot of questions when we see when we hear these things and we see these things. And you just gave us a nice behind the scenes. The the other thing that you touched on though was how these how did these decisions um, get made? So I run a diversity and inclusion firm, right? And, I, and as a speaker and consultant, I do a lot of um, speaking on communication leadership. And, you know, companies bring me in um, to sort of prevent what uh, what would happen, like with H&M and all these things, because they're like, we need to figure out our biases. We need to figure out our, our, our inclusive, uh, inclusive, inclusivity with this. We want to make sure that we're creating equal opportunities for people so that they can feel seen, heard, and understood. But when, you know, you know commercials go out where, you know, a, a white person can take off a shirt or a black person can take off a shirt, she becomes a white person or... Like their appropriation of, um, you know, of Black Lives Matter in that way happens. And it's, mm-hmm. this, this are like big companies. Is it that the people up there that are making decisions just don't have any person of color to say, Hey, you know, this might not, <laughs> this might not fly the way you think it is because it almost sounds like that's them being out of touch with the audience they're trying to serve. Yeah, I do, I do think that a lot of that has to do with just being out of touch. Um, you know, I can't really speak to like what is the makeup, the right. you know, the demographic makeup of of the leadership in these firms. I I can tell you that you know, brand culture and the way brands show up in the world, it starts at the top of the organization. So, you know, the the CEO and the executive team and, you know, 
that it's their responsibility to make sure that that brands are in touch with who their audience is and make sure that they have a presence that is definitely reflective of that audience. And, um, you know, it, it definitely is the responsibility of the leaders at the highest level of the organization to ensure that their brand that their brand includes their customers. I always say like, you know, one of my big mantras is brand or be branded. You have a brand whether you like it or not. And your brand isn't about you. Your brand is about your customers. And if you are out of touch with your customers and you do not represent your entire customer base, then your brand is going to fail on delivering on its promises. And, you know, people ask me, they're like, whose responsibility is branding? Is it just the brand manager? Or is it just advertising? Is it the ad agency? Is it just the creative people? Is it just the salespeople? No, it's every single person within the organization. Uber is a really good example of an organization that, you know, from the founder on down, that was a brand that shows up in the world as a brand that has a sick culture through and through. So, you know, what you're what you're describing, you know, some of these some of these things that maybe just look like advertising missteps, um, they in many cases are emblematic of a brand that's like sick all the way through. And when a brand is not in touch with reality and not in touch with their customers, it's a sick brand. I mean, I had a client once, some of the work that we do, we actually do a lot of research for our clients. And some of the work we do involves going out and doing what we call video ethnography, where we actually sort of experience what is it like, you know, a day in the life of our customers. And we recruited a bunch of this company's actual customers to participate in this research. And every day they came to a platform online and they did assignments and they showed us videos of themselves shopping and of themselves talking and stuff like that. Many of the people in those videos were people of color and the CEO of this company, and I won't, I won't mention any names mm-hmm. or anything. The CEO of this company, when we were reviewing this research, including, you know, highlight reels from these video clips that we frankly were really excited to share, you know, like, Hey, Hey, this is really great for the first time ever. You're going to actually see what it looks like inside your customers' homes, right? You know, they saw like out of the out of the 30 or so interviews that we did that many of those people, they were people of color and they were people who who didn't look like who they thought their customers were. That CEO asked me, he said, he said, "Those are not our customers." I said, "They sure as heck are your customers. We recruited them directly from your customer database, and actually some of these customers, the ones that you're looking at that you say are not your customers, um, because they don't look just like your your wife. Uh, some of those customers are not just your customers. They're your best customers. We recruited them to participate in this research because they were frequent frequent high volume buyers from you. And and it's stunning to me how how easy it is for the leadership of an organization to get completely out of touch with who their customers really are. Yeah, no, no, that that's exactly what I was thinking of, and because I mean, to us, it does appear that way. Like outside on the, we're not in, you know, in the industry, but yeah, I mean, it, it honestly, it's out of touch, but it's also, the, I, I honestly feel like if you do have people with different voices on the decision making level, there's no way that that kind of stuff wouldn't, wouldn't just get passed on. It's just because someone would say, "Hey, that's kind of offensive to me. What are you doing?" Yeah, yeah. it's, you know, it's a, it's a really interesting, it's an interesting dynamic. And, you know, I mean, you obviously know this, but, but diversity 
of thought and diversity of experience is so important to creating a, a rich legacy for your company and for your brand. And I believe that a company's brand and culture are indelibly intertwined. You can't separate the two and you have to have, you have to have diversity in thought and diversity in thought and comes from diversity of experience. It just comes from diversity. And so I think that that's like. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. An absolute must-have in this day and age. I mean, and you can see it. You know, whenever a company like really, really screws up and puts its foot in its mouth, it, you can probably trace it back to a a culture that just isn't where it ought to be as an organization in 2018. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about um, social media now. Social media as a way of influencing brand strategies. How do you feel about that? Do you feel like that's a true statement? And if so, which brands are doing it well? Um, so, yes, it is absolutely a true statement. I mean, you know, social media is is, is definitely uh, a key part of, like, the integrated marketing communication sphere. Now it's becoming increasingly important um, for brands to engage with customers and their audiences through social media because this is the way people – you know, people vote with their hearts and minds and their wallets. Social media is a primary way they vote with their with their hearts and minds, right? And uh, brand sentiment in social media definitely um, can can make or break a brand. I think of a really really interesting example of like the power of social media in in building and supporting a brand that comes from late last summer when the march on Charlottesville happened. So, you know, if you can go back to late 2017 hot summer, I think that was August, and then um President Trump you know, he like he put his foot in his mouth and um I think I think that the hashtag that was all over that was all over Twitter and Facebook and Instagram it was hashtag Tiki Torch Nazis. Do you remember this? I do. I do. Yeah. And um, what was really really interesting was the Tiki brand. So I don't know if you know this. I certainly didn't know this, but the the word Tiki Torch. It's a brand name, and it is the it is the flagship product of a great little company in Madison, Wisconsin, called Tiki Brand. And all of a sudden, this little this little tiny seventy person company in Madison, Wisconsin, was like thrust into the international limelight with this 
this hashtag Tiki Torch Nazis where their flagship product was being associated with something that was very much not something that they stood for as a company. And one of the things that they did really well was they used social media, they used the power of social media to actually go out and positively assert what their values and beliefs were as an organization. So they went out and, you know, made statements to say like, hey, listen, you know what, we are a company that's about the opposite of of what we're being associated with right now. We're a company that's all about backyard, family, summertime fun, and bringing people together and, and having people together. And they used social media to distance themselves from something that was going to be uh, a negative brand association for them. As a result, the the name Tiki Torch and the Tiki brand were top of mind for lots of people for a couple of weeks this last summer. There's no way to calculate the value that that that, that brings to that organization where social media could have killed that brand. They actually definitely used it for, for their own advantage by going out and telling a positive story about what their values and beliefs really were in order to bond more customers to them. I'll tell you the next time I went to... The next time I, I went to to Lowe's to you know buy stuff for our neighborhood party, like, I was looking for the tiki branded torches. That was for sure. So, you know that's that's the power of social media in terms of being able to tell a story about your organization that is your brand inclusive of your customers. Yeah, that's 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 a very interesting story to actually use with that too because it's a. Uh... It's one that I mean I, I knew of it, but then I was like, oh wow, I can totally see what you're saying now with the branded and all that. Yeah, so I didn't even I didn't even know that they were like a real company. I just thought I just thought that that actual you know that actual thing that bamboo pole that you pour the oil into and yeah. then you light on fire. I just I just thought that that was like a generic name, like Kleenex and cellophane and Scotch tape and things like that and Band Aid have become in our culture. It, that that's not the case. It's actually you know it's a company and it's a brand name and um, I you know it's it's a t- it's a teeny tiny blip on the whole radar of, you know, brand strategy and things like that. But I, I like it as a case study because, um, you know, it just shows the power of storytelling and it shows the, the power of, of being an open and authentic and honest communicator through social media and, and the benefits that that can create. So, you know, social media on the positive side can counteract social media on the negative side, especially when it's not intended. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I, I 100%. Um, I mean, I know I'm from the generation that loves social media, but I, I've also always thought that, um, you know, there are positive aspects of it. And I think a lot of times the negative aspects tend to be focused on more, but I think, um, it's definitely a lot of things that could come about from uh, using social media the right way. So, I don't know. Just my thought, but what do I know? I'm a millennial. <laughs> yeah, well, you know what? I love the millennials in my business because they keep us connected to, you know, what what really is the market level dialogue, what's important to people. They're movers and shakers and influencers and and I think it's really really important to to have 
millennials in your business, no matter what kind of business you're in. I, you know, I, I'm a Gen Xer, I guess, an aging Gen Xer, if you will. And uh, a lot of my business leader colleagues, you know, there's this ongoing conversation about, you know, us versus them or whatever. Um, I actually think it's really important to have people in, in your organization that shake you up, that make you uncomfortable, that, you know, do things and see things in, in a completely different way. Because, you know, I know that I don't have all the answers and the kind of business I'm in. I need people of all generations here who can kind of keep us in touch with like what are the trends and what are the issues and how do people behave and you know what technologies are they using or not using and how do they like to communicate and how do they like to live their lives because it, you know I can't be a good brand strategist unless I have my finger on the pulse of all those things too yeah yeah no 100% and um, thank you for for saying that I actually I've always said that I mean with the work that uh, we both do a lot of times yes um, seeing the fact that we're going to be in a generation where five generations possibly going to be in the workforce, you know, a lot of, you know, I've always straddled between that, you know, dad's, dad's a baby boomer, mom's Gen Xer, the youngest brother's a Gen Z, me and my middle brother are like uh, the, the millennials. So it's always interesting living as a family, but also having to, uh, to work with uh, teams to show people that, Hey, look, this is not uh you can't just run away from this. This is, this is what's happening. And it's not uh, us versus them. It's, we can work together. This is how. And um, I, I often have a lot of uh, humorous conversations with uh, different CEOs because when you get them in private settings, they admit to several interesting things. And it's all based on some fear and some lack of awareness about the generations. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah. And, and I, you know, I'm not, I can't be that fearful. I have an almost 21 year old daughter. I mean, she scares me to death for like a bunch <laughs> of other reasons, you know, but, but, you know, I have to be, I have to be connected to, to all of those things or Absolutely. else, you know, we're not going to relate. Yeah, no, this is good. So speaking of communication, because we're getting ready to, before we go into the book, um, what, the, you talk about the Amazon effect. Um, mm. what, what, what is that to you? Yeah, the Amazonification of of everything, <laughs> right? <laughs> that's I mean, that's what I'm talking about right now. Like, is it a possible? Is it possible for a company to get too big and infiltrate our lives in so many ways? So, you know, one of the the Amazon effect and the Amazonification of 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 the world, um, it it has become increasingly apparent to me how much they're infiltrating my life. I live in Austin, Texas, which is, you know, I am right in the backyard of Whole Foods headquarters. And uh, over this past weekend, I found myself in three separate Whole Foods stores. Yeah. Not, not really sure why, but, you know, for different things. One time I was eating and having a glass of wine. One time I was shopping. And then another time I was shopping three different locations. And the Amazonification, like Amazon owns Whole Foods. And I was waiting to see, like, how is Amazon going to impact my world? Well, now all of a sudden I can get my Whole Foods groceries ordered uh, and delivered to me within two hours via Amazon Prime, right? And what's what's really interesting about this is that, you know, a lot of people don't realize this, but but Amazon um, last I want to say late late last summer or early in the fall they started unilaterally lowering prices of goods sold on 
Amazon, branded goods sold on Amazon. I don't know if you knew this, but in order to be a seller on Amazon, in many cases, you have to sign up for a lot of things that you maybe don't want to agree to. And that's one of them is that they have the power to unilaterally reduce your prices. And so they were going through and reducing prices on a lot of branded merchandise. This was about at the same time they were starting to ramp up, you know, what are we going to do with all of these um, several hundred Whole Foods stores that we have? And so what's going on is, you know, with the Amazonification of the world, they're going to be able to create conditions by which they can give the goods, the the products and services that they sell, like more preferential treatment from, from a pricing perspective. And I think it has the power to completely change the consumer packaged goods industry. Um, they're going to start to gather lots of data about, you know, what brands and products are people purchasing at the point of sale? What are they purchasing online? And then being able to control pricing on branded goods and control the placement on the site and advertising and SEO footprint of goods that are either, you know, product lines that are owned by Amazon or, or product lines that are sold by Amazon, they're going to be able to control, you know, a large volume of what people buy. And that's fascinating to me. The other trend that I see that's really interesting is stuff like, um, you know, the connected home, for instance. So uh, over Christmas, the the big trend this year was smart speakers, right? When smart speakers right now are a little bit of a folly and, and you know, it remains to be seen, like, what is the actual value this is going to provide in people's lives and how is this going to change their lives? One of the primary ways sp- smart speakers are going to start to infiltrate people's lives, and I'm talking about, you know, Amazon Echo and, you know, the Alexa technology underlying that. And there's competitors from Google and, and stuff like that. And I'm not really sure who's going to win this race. But the interesting thing underlying that is the smart speaker trend is picking up steam at the same time, Mm -hmm. very quietly last year, Amazon acquired a majority stake in the Kenmore brand from Sears. Sears is a failing retailer. They, They acquired the Kenmore brand and they announced a plan to deploy that Alexa technology through the Sears connected home appliances. So imagine, if you will, a world where you're sitting on the couch and you say to your Amazon Echo, you say, Alexa, buy me some milk. Alexa is going to be able to tell inside your your Kenmore refrigerator what kind of milk you have in there, and it's going to place an order directly on Amazon Prime for some milk and have it delivered to your house, where Amazon then can control like the entire experience and can can control like the goods and services that come as part of that. It's kind of creepy when you think about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. And, and so, so it's interesting. Like you know, I triangulate all of these little moves that Amazon makes, and I'm like, oh, this Whole Foods thing is not really about Whole Foods as much as it's about retail, and as much as it's about getting a physical store presence in 400 something stores in, frankly, the highest best most spendiest demographic areas, right? So that's one piece. Then there's also like all this data and Amazon separately is launching a bunch of private label brands um, under their own Amazon flag. Plus Whole Foods has a bunch of private label brands. And then you look at some of these technology things like this Kenmore thing, it helps them with two things. One thing that Amazon does not currently do really well is big stuff 
like furniture and, you know, really, really, really big goods that have to be shipped. I, that is something that, you know, for all the things that Sears is and they aren't, that's something that they know how to do. So their acquisition of the Kenmore brand helps them get into, you know, maybe being able to handle big stuff, like physically big stuff better. But more importantly, you know, this this uh, technology partnership where they're deploying that technology through those connected home appliances, you, you can see like there's these little Amazon tentacles like reaching into everyone's home and business in all these different ways. And unless you like really sit back and look at the big picture, you don't see the whole thing. Now, all these things, of course, it's all conjecture. It's all prediction. You know, I and a bunch of other experts out there, you know, thinking about the Amazonification of the world. But I do think it's a big enough company with enough sort of diversified interests that they really could impact the way we shop, the way we live, eat, drink, sleep, learn, play, all of those kinds of things just because their impact is so far reaching. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I'm not sure if I should be terrified or happy about this, but, um, either like, I really, like, I really don't know. I'm like, what should I think about this? You know, like, I don't know. I don't know exactly. Yeah. I don't know where I am with that. Yeah, no, that's interesting. But I'm glad that you were able to educate us on that. Now, um, I'll be remiss if I didn't just go back to Brandon and Sex. It's such, a, such an interesting title. Um, it, when you were writing this book, what were you thinking? And well, I know you talked about it. You talked about it a little bit. But what was I thinking? Well, no, well, no, come on, no, the title no, is see, Sex. Get your customer laid and sell the hell out of anything. What do you think I was thinking? Oh my gosh, this is. The, <laughs> I'm trying to think of a way to ask the question. I, what were you hoping? Maybe that's the better way. What were you hoping? That, that the reader will get from the book, man. <laughs> well, you know, I, um, I I didn't write the book to sell books. I, you know, I think the title definitely helps the book sell. But I wrote the book because, you know, like I said at the beginning of this interview, I, I am compelled to share this information. And um, it's my it, it is my purpose to help business leaders unlock financial value in their business. I want to, by the time I'm done with this career, you know, create billions of dollars worth of financial value for other people's businesses by helping them identify and and bond with their ideal customers. And one of the best ways to do that is by just giving this methodology away for free. I've been doing this for so long that uh, I felt like this was this was a really good way at a super low price point, you know, fifteen ninety nine on Amazon and you know your local bookstore or whatever, for for you to get a how to instruction manual uh, for actually unlocking the potential in your brand. And so th- what I was thinking was, I can't not do this. I am compelled to do this. I have to do this, and this is one of the best ways that I can do it. I believe that my highest best purpose to this world, I think, besides being a, a really kick ass mom. Um, is by sharing this information and, you know, there are some organizations and people who can afford to spend a couple hundred thousand dollars doing it with my company. There are people who can afford to, you know, do it for a couple thousand dollars. There are people who can afford to do it for $15.99. I just wanted there to be an, an offering kind of at every price point. And, and literally I give the methodology away for free and I, I talk about it all the time and, and I talk with business leaders always and I tell them, hey, if you want to do this, it, you know, it really comes down to, to answering these three simple questions about your business. The first one being, what does it say about a person that they use your brand? 
The second question is, what is the singular thing they get from you that they can't get anywhere else, which really speaks to meaningful differentiation? And then the third and most important question, and this is the sex question, is how do you make people feel like a hero in their own story? Because all brands need to be about their customers, and this is a branding methodology that helps you answer those questions so that then you can articulate, you know, what is it that you do when customers use your brand that create these conditions where they can be the hero in their story and they're the one who gets the guy or gets the girl or whatever. Nice, nice. Hey, well, ladies and gentlemen, I was told by nomads, uh, if you want to be the hero in your story, if you want to know what it's like to um, experience this this high that, uh, that comes from being um, you know, a brand and expert, it's definitely something you should get. And they can get the book where? On Amazon? Everywhere books are sold? Yeah, yeah. Definitely on Amazon, right? It's the Amazonification of the world. Like- yeah, your favorite brand. <laughs> <laughs> Not my favorite brand, but it's a brand I'm certainly watching. But, you know, thanks very much for giving it a plug. Yeah, you can get it on Amazon and it's available in a lot of bookstores as well, Barnes & Noble, etc. Okay. Now, this is good. And before we close, I've, I've always said two things, right? So for me... I believe the two of the most important skills in the 21st century are personal branding and cultural competency. That's that's how I've I've built my my brand, if you will, and that's what I work on with people and companies, individuals. How to you know define your personal brand in a world of globalization, digitalization. How to understand effectively how to communicate across cultures. And those are you know that's what I love to do. That's that's my expertise. Do, do you agree that personal brand is such an important thing that we need to have in this um in this new era? Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, like I said before, brand or be branded, you have a brand whether you like it or not. And this this whole idea of personal branding, like that is about you owning your story that's inclusive of all of the other people that you interact with. I mean, I think the business that you're in and what you're doing um, is very ahead of the curve. And it's something that's like so incredibly necessary in this world that, you know, is, is changing rapidly. Uh, you know, old forms of leadership and relationships and things like that have all just completely gone away with the advent of technology and um, you know social social media and online communication and things like that and I think that a personal brand how you show up in the world and how you articulate your value to the world uh, it is definitely essential to ensuring that you know you can fulfill your highest best purpose to the world so I love what you're doing and I admire the ways in which you're doing it and I love this podcast I listened to a bunch of a bunch of episodes over the weekend in preparation for this and I, I think what you're doing is providing a great service to the world oh wow thank you first of all thanks for listening thanks for um um what you do as well i mean i think i don't think I, people like me would have a career if there wasn't you know if you didn't give us some of your resources you know for free as well because um a lot of times you know what we learn is through the internet and it sounds like even you you've had you've touched the lives of many industries and that I might not even have known until you said it. So yeah, um, yeah, totally. <laughs> um, so I'm I'm happy to hear that. Uh, I always ask my guests this question before they go, uh, and it's uh, my mission statement: use your difference to make a difference. So, Deb, how do you use your difference to make a difference? <laughs> okay, well, I think <laughs> my uh, my difference. I I really. I look at my difference as being, you know, I, I am a, a real plain talker, a real st- 
straight shooter, you know, I like to, I really like to shine a light on, on the truth of things and whatever. And, and how I make a difference is by, um, asking lots of questions and, and, um, shining a light on things that are maybe things that people don't like, they don't, it's like a Pandora's box that maybe they don't want to open because you don't ask questions that you're not comfortable hearing the answer to. And my job is to ask those questions and make people uncomfortable with the answer because it drives them to become a better them. And so that's probably, you know, that's probably my main difference. Um, it really is just sort of like coming from this background of, you know, we're very practical, pragmatic, Eastern European stock you know, get stuff done kind of people. And I think that I definitely use that to help other people be better oh, just by yeah. asking the questions. Yeah. I think asking the right questions can literally change your life I've, I've, uh, to yourself and to other people. So absolutely love that you do that. Love that you are, um, you know, making movements left and right. And I also love that you're an amazing mom. So, well, thanks. Yeah, thanks. Awesome. Yeah. Mutual admiration society for sure. <laughs> well, uh, ladies and gentlemen, we've been talking to Deb Gabor, who is the CEO of Soul Marketing and the author of the best-selling book, Branding is Sex. Make sure you grab your copies. Everything will be in the show notes. And I really hope that you all take um, to heart everything she has said about what Brandon is and what it isn't. So um, till next time, my fellow nomads, use your difference to make a difference. You've just been listening to the As Told by Nomads podcast. For more ways to reach out to Tayo and to use your difference to make a difference, head over to www.tayoroxon.com. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this Allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.